you this morning. So uh, we've been in this new series called Hidden Figures. You've been enjoying that series? Uh, so we're jumping in uh, with a message title today as Hidden Faith. Hidden Faith. I'll be in Ruth uh, chapter 3 uh, this morning. But this series explores the stories uh, of several women in Jesus's genealogy and life, uh, revealing the various ways uh, that they have been misunderstood or marginalized. And through these stories, we witness the way the biblical narrative was uniquely communicated through their lives. And we are reminded to listen and learn. Somebody say listen and learn. We are reminded to listen and learn from other perspectives. We don't like to do that. We think we're right all the time. But we have to learn to listen from other perspectives. And where the culture may have silenced or rejected these women, their inclusion in Jesus' genealogy or his elevation of them during his life Give us a guide for using our influence and our power and our privilege to build up the marginalized in our own lives. Amen. So that's what we're going to be exploring today from Ruth chapter three, verse seven through ten. Hear these words of our father. It says, after Boaz ate, drank And was in good spirits or was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. And she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. At midnight, somebody said midnight. Boaz was startled. He got scared. And he turned over. And there laying at his feet was a woman. Now, I don't know how to be startled by that. (laughs) Listen, so he asked her, he said, who, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before. Because you have pursued, you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Father, thank you for these words. God, speak to us today. Lord, open up our ears so that we might hear you today, hear your call and hear your voice. So, God, I pray, Lord, that those under the sound of my voice, God, that they would have ears to hear, God. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that as you speak, God, that you would speak through our mind and speak through my body and, 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 and through my mouth, God. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I place all of my trust. In Jesus' mighty name, and the whole church said, Amen. Amen. So, again, because I'm doing a survey of these things, I'm going to lay a little bit of a foundation for us this morning, uh, and then we'll get into some some of the meat of the text. But... In a culture that sexualizes and devalues Ruth as a woman, she breaks boundaries and pushes back against a culture of exploitation. This story is truly characterized, though, by Ruth's unwillingness to concede to the culture or to her circumstances. Ruth makes the courageous decision to stick with her mother-in-law and try to survive. 
Ruth was a woman who represented the pinnacle of social exclusion. She was a widow who had no financial or social ability. She had no ability to take care of herself. And more than that, she was also a Moabite who had inherited the reputation of her people. And she was childless. She had no heir to deliver her. Her ethnicity labeled her as an enemy of the state. But it was her loyalty to her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi, and her work to provide for not just herself, but the two of them, and her eventual decision to ignore Naomi's direct instruction not to boldly request protection from Boaz that were all indicators of her faith and her faithfulness. See, while Naomi instructed her to wait for Boaz to tell her what to do, she would boldly request protection from him. She tampers with Naomi's script and is voluntarily sticking her neck out in order to rescue Naomi's family, not just herself. Instead of hoping that Boaz would respond with an offer to only protect Ruth, she invokes the legal responsibility of Boaz that he has over Elimelech's family to, as, a, as a redeemer, and she seeks not only her own safety, but the safety and continuation of Naomi's family. Y'all tracking with me? The story of Ruth shows the sovereign work of God in the lives of faithful people. See, he uses Ruth's courage and faith and loyalty in such a powerful way that it is not only restoring her personal protection, but it allowed her to play a prominent role in the genealogy of the Messiah. See, the theological message of the book of Ruth is this, that we might, it might be summarized like this. God cares for needy people like Naomi and Ruth. And he is their ally in a chaotic world. Anybody need an ally in this chaotic world today? See, one thing motivated Ruth, and it motivated her, her, her bold and potentially very risky decision to openly request protection and provision from Boaz in chapter 3. It was her faith. Her faith was the thing that motivated her to take a risk. It was her faith that motivated, motivated her to have boldness. And we can imagine her faith was like the zeal of a new convert. Exuberant evangelism, telling everybody about Jesus. Joyful participation in church. Full throttle approach to service and learning. Because here's what I want you to see. Ruth has come to know the one true God by a marriage that ended in pain and suffering. Anybody come to know Jesus through a little bit of pain this morning? Did Jesus ever show up for any of you in your pain today? I, I, I need a witness in here because when I was down and out, it was because of Jesus' faithfulness and him showing up on time for me that caused me to have a greater knowledge of him. You see, 
her boldness reminds us of the power of a relationship with God. And just like Ruth, our source of strength and energy for engaging the world in a countercultural way comes from God. And here's how we have to do this as we deal with the marginalized. We have to uncover the faith of the marginalized. See, Ruth had a faith even in the midst of her marginalization. And there are those out here in our community and in our neighborhoods and in our city who are marginalized, but they have some faith. And we, as the body of Christ, as the believers of Jesus Christ, we've got to uncover that faith and point that faith in the right direction. So if we're going to uncover the hidden faith of the marginalized, here's what we got to do. We got to know how they move. See, it says here in verse number seven, it says, after Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits. See, Boaz, his name means fleetness. In other words, it means that he was fast and nimble in movement. That's what that word, his name tends to mean. But people of privilege can move about the world however they see fit. That's what this is teaching us here. They can move through situations with fleetness because they have been given all the tools they need in order to move throughout the world. And Boaz was his, his, it was also the name of a pillar that was in front of Solomon's temple. So this represents the firm foundation that the privileged have in this life. They aren't worried about the uncertainty of life because they stand on a pillar of architecture that has been given to them and a bit of a head start in life. So it says that he ate and he drank and he was merry. See, people in positions of privilege are able to eat, drink, and be merry while the marginalized have to watch what they eat and drink because their pantries look scary. See, this world also has, this word also has the sense of burning something up. People in positions of privilege have the ability to burn through resources, opportunities, and chances at a different rate than the marginalized. See, I've sat in in courtrooms during my my years of pastoral ministry with young men and young women in marginalized conditions, and I watched them be laden with tougher sentencing for identical infractions of those in positions of privilege. See, I witnessed a judge admit the divergent sentencing practices being leveled against the marginalized individuals. It was simply because he said, this is just a case of poor representation. In other words, if they had a little bit of money, this would be different. And see, if we're going to recognize the hidden faith of the marginalized, we've got to know how they move. And I'm talking about the systemic factors of power in our culture. See, people in positions of privilege are able to assimilate into the higher thrones of culture and civilization because of the things that they have been able to feast off during their lifetime. See, when the word here says that he was drinking, it means that he was able to feast or to imbibe himself. In other words, he was able to absorb or assimilate into a culture more easily than other people. And see, when we talk about him being in good spirits, what we've got to know is that people of privilege have been enjoying pleasant circumstances. They have the ability to enjoy pleasant circumstances when they choose to. Hey, guys, like, let's go to happy hour after work. Whole time, Tanisha is trying to figure out how she's going to get home on the bus in enough time to pick up her toddler from daycare so she doesn't get slapped with another late fee. 
See, I'm not suggesting that we can never have enjoyable or pleasant times as as people in positions of privilege. That's not what I'm suggesting. But we must be cognizant of the fact that while we are enjoying ourselves, there are marginalized peoples around us that don't have the same ability to enjoy themselves. But deeper than that, I want, to, I want us to understand that the systemic factors that contribute to the disparity of lifestyles among image bearers of God, that's what I want us to see. And a, a lady one time asked me, she said, why do young men in the inner city always look so angry? And I, I told her, I said, miss, it's because their communities lack beauty. And anytime beauty is introduced into their communities, they're told that they need to leave. Gentrification. And being a people of privilege means that you have the ability to create beauty without it being stolen from you. Your history is safe from reassignment. Your music is safe from from theft. Your traditions are safe from grand larceny and your culture is safe from appropriation. If we are going to uncover the faith of the hidden faith of the marginalized, we must know how they move. And, and I'm talking about the systemic factors of wealth in our culture. See, I don't expect a whole whole bunch of amens today or a whole bunch of shouting or, or, or all that stuff like that. Uh, but I got to teach this word to you. It says here that when after he got done eating and drinking and being merry, he went to go lay down. See. He went to lay down at the end of a pile of barley. Hear this. In other words, he was able to relax in the same environment where the marginalized had been dripping in sweat. See, he went to lodge in the same environment where Ruth had to live off of leftovers. See, the same thing is happening in our culture today where the privileged are enjoying luxuries in the same hoods where the marginalized are living off of leftovers. Out here discovering stuff that's already been here. I saw a, a thing, a, a girl in, in the Bronx said, I just, I just discovered this new sandwich called the chopped cheese sandwich. <clears throat> Jokers in the Bronx been eating chopped cheese <laughs> Since the 60s. But now all of a sudden she discovered it. Like America. (laughs) Listen, it says that he went to lay down and then secretly, Ruth, she rolled up on him. See, Ruth here in this passage says that because she had come to Boaz, because she came to Boaz secretly, and the word suggests that when she came to him, that she had to perform some type of enchantment on Brother Boaz. Amen. Um, It's just like the poor and the marginalized in in our community. Big Mama's always got to perform some type of enchantment when it comes to making a meal for her family. She's got to make a dollar stretch. An article of clothing goes down to four and five different people. But some of the best bowls of soup I ever had were made in poverty. (laughs) 
See, but, but, but Ruth knew that if she were to be caught being in Boaz's intimate space, that she would have dire consequences. And the same is true of the marginalized in our community. They know that they can only have superficial relationships with the privileged. And if we're to get close, if they, if they were to get close, there would be dire consequences. See, we, we don't want the marginalized to get too close to us. We, we, don't, we don't want them to get too, too close to us, and we don't want to get too close to them. See, we, we get excited about touching them from a distance, but we never want to get into the deep messiness of their lives. That's why we have a proclivity towards mercy ministry, but an aversion to dealing with true injustice. See, we, we love to do mercy ministry and drop off food and, and give away clothes and hand out school supplies, but we don't want to deal with the systemic issues of injustice that perpetuate the conditions which require acts of mercy to be performed. And see, that's why I said that she, she, she went in secret and she uncovered his feet. I don't got time to get into all the, the, psychosocial, the, the, the psychosexual components of, of what this word can, can, can mean but, uh, because it's just too much to plow through. But your feet are the most vulnerable part of your, of your mobility. If there is something wrong with your feet, it is almost impossible for you to move. Anybody ever stubbed a toe on the side of the bed? You fall over like you got shot. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be laying on the ground, rolling, don't know what's happening. Um, but your your feet are the most vulnerable part of your mobility. So in one sense, Ruth had to stop Boaz in his tracks because he was moving throughout life with any thought or without any thought or consideration for the plight of others. And later in this passage, she's going to directly challenge him to translate his pious words into action by being the means by which the blessing that he pronounced over her would be fulfilled. See, this is the salt of the passage right here. And if we are going to get there, then we must release ourselves from fear. See, it says that at midnight, verse, this is verse 8. See, at midnight... Boaz was startled because she was there secretly and she had uncovered his feet and she was laying down at his feet. Uh, but Boaz was startled and he turned over and there he saw lying at his feet was a woman. See, the reason we are fearful in our relationships with the marginalized is because our perceptions instruct us. See, many things done by the marginalized seem like they're a bit underhanded. They seem like it's a bit shady. But in reality, it's really calculated and strategic. See, survival is the moniker of the marginalized. Marginalized people know how to survive like nobody else. And so in the midst of adversity, you can see the marginalized implementing survival tactics, i.e. Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth up to this point if you've been tracking with us. 
But it says here that at midnight he was startled by her. In other words, he, he was afraid of, 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 of her being there. So sometimes the moves of the marginalized, they startle us as well. We don't understand the things that they do, so it, it causes us to be afraid. We don't understand that they don't have clean clothes, so they walk past us dressed in all black. We don't understand that, that they are fighting for dignity in their relationships, so they're in the store arguing loudly on the phone. We just think something's wrong with them, but they're fighting for dignity. We don't understand that when we hear kids cursing, it's because they don't have a register to communicate their fears and frustrations. This causes us to be afraid and tremble. So we insist that we must be, this word for startled can mean to be careful. So it, we, we insist that that means that we've got to be careful when we get around the marginalized. I can't tell you how many people said to me, are you really going to move your family into that city? Which was dumb to me because I'm from Camden. But it's like, are you really going to move your people into, into that city? Like they be shooting and all this stuff like that. And I'm like, so what? Like, I, I, I believe in the God of the universe. I believe in the one who the, 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 the scripture says that if we've got the gospel, it is the power of God. So if it's the power of God, it's the power of God unto salvation. So God can save any drug dealer, any murderer, any gangster. He can save them because of the power of the gospel. So I'm not afraid. I'm not scared at all because I've got the gospel. So he was scared and he turned over. Oftentimes in our fear, our fear leads us to turn our backs on the marginalized. However, in this passage, we see Boaz turning over in order to see the marginalized. See, if, if we're going to uncover the hidden faith of the marginalized, we've got to release ourselves from fear in order to see them more clearly. This word suggests that we have to be willing, in one sense, to bend over backwards or to twist ourselves around in order to see the marginalized. And when we do this, here's what can happen. We can use our privilege responsibly. See, there are marginalized people in your life that you need to see more clearly. There are marginalized people in your life that you just don't see because you're not willing to turn yourself around from your regularly scheduled program in order to see them more clearly. We get frustrated and angry because they're in our spaces. But the reality is, is that we've got to turn ourselves around in order to see them so that we could use our privilege in their lives responsibly. So here he says, in verse 9, he says, who are you? Talking to Ruth. See, the way that we start to use our privilege responsibly is by building friendships with the marginalized. It's that simple. You've got to build some friendships with some people that are out there and marginalized. And providentially, look at this. Ruth's name means friendship. So this Moabite woman was extending herself to have a friendship with a man who was supposed to be 
her enemy. So that person on your job that you think is your enemy because they always talking junk about you or they always talking bad about you. Scripture tells us, it gives us some, some, some help on how we do this, is just that we give them some friendship or extend some friendship to them so that we can bridge the gap between us. Be kind to them. You be kind enough, long enough to somebody that's hating on you, guess what? They become a friend. I've seen it happen. But here, Ruth, she's extending herself to have a friendship with a man who's supposed to be her enemy. And Ruth goes one step further here in, in, in verse number nine, one step further. And she says, not only am I extending myself a friendship, because when he asks, who are you? She says, I'm your servant. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. See, Ruth is extending herself further to Boaz, and she's telling Boaz, look, uh, I, I'm, I'm a servant to you. In other words, she's humbling herself before Boaz. And if we are going to uncover the hidden faith of the marginalized, we must use our privilege and responsibility as our, our privilege and show humility before them. Y'all tracking with me? See, if we don't show humility before the marginalized, if we act like we're all high and mighty and that we're better than them, then God will teach us humility through our lives. See, when you walk around and you think that you've got it all together and that it's all on your own two feet, when you think that you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps and that you've done everything that you can on your own, guess what? God has a way of humbling us. God has a way of teaching us humility in the midst of the marginalized. But watch how, because listen, here's what happened. She's about to humble uh, homie uh, Boaz. She's about to humble him. She says, you take me under your wing. Watch how she read him. See, she's, she's, she's reading him just like a godly woman does. And she teaches him humility from, from, his, from his own words. See, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, after Boaz tells her, uh, after Ruth tells Boaz about her plight, and all she has done to try to mitigate her marginalization, he responds by saying this. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. In other words, he was passing off his responsibility to undo the injustice of Ruth's marginalization by sending her off to God will provide for you. He just said, God going to take care of you. Now, that's true. That's very true. God was taking care of Ruth. But he did not in that moment sense his responsibility as a family redeemer in order to take care of Naomi's family. He didn't see that. So she quotes back his words to him. She says, take me under your wing. Don't tell me that God is going to provide for me. Don't tell me that God's got it. Don't tell me all that kind of stuff. You do something. So she responds by saying, take me under your wing. In other words, she's saying, permit me to enter into the protection of your privilege. She is challenging him to translate his pious words in chapter 2 into action 
by being the means by which the blessing he pronounces over her is fulfilled. Don't pass off the responsibility of dealing with foreigners and immigrants and the poor and the marginalized in the piety of God's sovereignty. Don't build walls to protect the borders of your lifestyle to protect yourself. Let me let me just get this out of the way. Because uh, I know some of you are getting stiff when you hear me talk about borders and walls and all that stuff like that and all this kind of stuff and dealing with immigrants and stuff like that. But if your political ideology is so loud that all you heard was a political agenda coming from me, that lets me know that your ears are tuned to an elephant and a donkey and not to the Lamb of God. We've got to stop listening to elephants and donkeys and start listening to the Lamb of God. See, it is the Lamb of God who instructs us on how to deal with the marginalized. We don't need no political agendas to tell us how to behave with the marginalized or how to live with the marginalized. We've got the Lamb of God who instructs us on how we are to deal with those who are far off from God. We're so worried about keeping the marginalized people out of our borders that we miss the God who invites all men under the border of his wing. See, when Ruth says, take me under your wing, she is pointing to the God who cares for all men. And and, and not only is she pointing to the God who cares for all men, but she's pointing to the God who takes all types of people into his borders. But the contrast between the scene in, in chapter one, in chapter two and in chapter three is striking. See, Ruth no longer refers to herself as a foreigner or to the fact that she is not one of Boaz's workers. On the contrary, she identifies herself as Ruth, your servant. See, her tone is deferential, but she presses her claim pointedly by referring to Boaz as her redeemer. In other words, someone obligated to help her in the time of her need. And I'm going to tell this to you today. Anybody created in the image of God is obligated to receive help from those who have been redeemed via the redeemer. So if you've been redeemed in here today, it is your responsibility and you are obligated to help any image bearer of God to have the dignity that is required to them. It is your responsibility as one who has been redeemed by the Redeemer. And I want to take a few minutes to tell you about this Redeemer. This Redeemer whose name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the one who avenges the plight of the marginalized. Jesus is the one who has purchased the marginalized by his blood. It was Jesus who has ransomed the privilege by his blood so that they might be able to have, uh, to be able to ransom others to, to the Father. It was Jesus, this Redeemer. He is the reason that we get to use our privilege responsibly. responsibly. It is Jesus who is the reason that we can release ourselves from fear. It was 
Jesus who is the reason that we get to know how the marginalized move. It is because of Jesus in our life. And one day Jesus stepped into my life. I don't know about you in here today, but one day Jesus stepped into my life and Jesus made changes in my life and he made me new. And where I was once marginalized and far off from God, I now have the ability to be called a son of God because of the work that his son Jesus did in my life. And maybe you're here today and you don't know about that Jesus. Maybe you're in here today and you don't know about that Jesus, but I want to instruct you today that there is one who came to pull you out of your marginalization. There was one who came to draw you into a relationship with himself. There's one in here today who has called you into a relationship with him and he says, listen, I no longer call you friends, but I call you family. If you're in here today and you're outside of the family of God, I want to invite you into that family this morning. Because Jesus is a redeemer. He'll pay your ransom. See, all of us, each and every one, Roger, you can come on. Each and every one of us were once marginalized because of sin. See, sin in our lives caused us to be far off from God. And because of that marginalization, we were in need of help. And because of that great need, we did just like Ruth did. But instead of going to the feet of Boaz, we ran to the feet of the cross. And at the feet of the cross, at the foot of the cross, we were able to look up to our Savior and see that his body would be broken for us. That he would be whipped for our marginalization. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed. Is there one here today that needs healing from their brokenness? Healing from their marginalization? Maybe you feel like, I'm just, I'm just too far gone. You're surprised that the church didn't burn down when you walked up in here. But I'm here to let you know that God is able to quench the fires of your sin. He's able to remove the penalty and the pain of sin in your life. And not only is he able, but he's willing to do that. Jesus wants to have a relationship with each and every one of you. So much so that he will send his son, his perfect son, into the world to die on a cross on our behalf. Jesus is calling you today. Is there one here who's, you know, I, I've, I've been in church my whole life. I grew up in church and I know about God and I know about the things of Jesus, but I've just been wandering from him. I've just been doing my own thing, living my life how I want to live my life. That's you here today. We want to pray for you. struggling with whether to make a decision for Jesus. I want to instruct you that choosing Jesus is the best decision that you'll ever make in your life. It's not promising you that everything's going to be alright and everything's going to be wonderful and you're going to live your best life now. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when God calls you in a relationship with Him, He calls 
calls you into a beautiful relationship where you stumble together, you fall together with the with brothers and sisters in Christ, and you get to learn what it means to live for Jesus. Your life may not be perfect when you come to Jesus, but Jesus did promise that your life would be abundant because he comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Every head bow, every eye closed. Is there one today who seeks to, who desires to have Jesus in their life? If that's you, we ask you to slip up your hand. Is there one today who says, I've been marginalized my whole life. People mistreat son from a faraway land to come in to redeem us. So God, we thank you for that this morning. God, we praise you for that this morning. God, I pray for those under the sound of my voice that don't know you today. God, I pray that they might come to know you in the fellowship of your suffering and the fullness of your joy and know that you may 